Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're continuing the series, Take and Hold the High Ground. Take and Hold the High Ground. If you're watching somewhere where you can put it in the chat, go ahead and put Take and Hold the High Ground. Take and Hold the High Ground. One of our text scriptures for this series, we've been in and out of this message, this series, this line of thought throughout the year. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse three, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, which means they have power to do something. They're mighty through God. What is the power they have to do? To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every weapon we have is mighty. Go ahead and put that in the chat. See, every weapon we have is mighty. Every weapon we have from God is mighty. And this weapon's here. It says they have the power for the pulling down of strongholds. The word casting down, same as pulling down, which simply means demolition. Now, what is a stronghold? As we define, a stronghold is a castle. It is a fortress. It's anything on which one relies. There was a first century philosopher who used this Greek word to describe an argument that people do not undo, that someone is stuck in. That's the way they think. The word next we see that we're defined in verse five is imagination, which means reasoning or thought. So we see the pulling down or the demolition of castles, fortress, anything on which one relies, or even arguments, and the demolition of reasonings and thoughts that exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Notice every high thing as well, because high thing is defined as an elevated place or an elevated structure or high ground. And so we gave this fuller definition of stronghold from our study this year. A stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. It may be an argument for a set course of actions. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, and has confidence in. A stronghold in your mind can be a mentality, a philosophy, or even an identity. It may be an argument for a set course of actions. It is a mental process or philosophy on which the person relies, depends on, trusts in, and has confidence in. Knowing this, we can say there are godly strongholds and ungodly strongholds. Knowing this, we can say there are godly strongholds and ungodly strongholds. I love this quote from Pastor Mac Hammond. He said, your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. Your success in this life will depend on the strongholds you build for yourself and occupy. So as we shared again and again throughout this year, you must take and hold the high ground of your mind. You must take and hold the high ground of your mind. We talked about last week, put your helmet on. Because if you don't put your helmet on and you don't adopt thinking based on the word of God, if you don't decide how you're going to think, somebody's going to decide for you. Come on, say it like we did last week. Say, my mind is my mind. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, my mind is my mind. Now let's go to Isaiah 55 or 7. 
we must take and hold the high ground of our minds. And now let's go a little bit di different directions, right? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, familiar passage to a number of us. But Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say his way. Say his way. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say his way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is a way? A way is defined as a course of life, a mode of action. It is the way you live your life. The way defined here is a course of life, a mode of action. It is the way you live your life. So what is the scripture saying? Let the wicked forsake his course of life, his mode of action. Let the wicked forsake the way that they live their life. Then in verse 8, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, or my course of life, my mode of action, and the way that I live is not the way that you live. It's not your course of life. It's not your mode of action. Then he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, my courses of life, my mode of action, the way that I live my life, higher than your course of life, your mode of action, and the way you live your life. So if you're going to take and hold the high ground, we must take and hold the way in which we think and the way in which we live. If we are going to take and hold the high ground, we must do so in the way that we think and we must do so in the way that we live. It's not just enough to take the high ground of our minds. We must also take the high ground of the way that we live in our mode and course of life and actions. Now, if you live a higher way, you get higher results. The way of God is higher than our ways, so the way of God produces higher results. Go ahead and put this in the chat. Say, higher ways produce higher results. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, higher ways produce higher results. One more time. Say, higher ways produce higher results. And so if we want higher results, we need to live higher. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. The ways of God are higher and they produce higher results. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 17. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. This is describing a higher way of living. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. And we'll read quite a bit of scripture here from the New Living Translation. It says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learn about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, 
truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't let sin and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. To sum it up, the way of love is the high ground. The way of love is the high ground. Go ahead and put that in the chat. The way of love is the high ground. Say it out loud with me. Say the way of love is the high ground. In order to take the high ground, you must walk in love or live a life filled with love. If you're going to take the high ground in your thoughts and in your lifestyle, you must walk in love or live a life filled with love. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. We'll look at verses 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master or teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what did Jesus call the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we see here you're supposed to love God. You're supposed to love others. And you're supposed to love yourself. Jesus goes on. And says, on this hang all the law and the prophets. So all the commands of the law and prophets, but also all the blessings. They hang on the command of love. It's just like the command of love is a curtain rod. And the blessings are the curtains. You can't hang the curtains without the curtain rod. You can't hang the blessings without the law of love. If you want to live the high life God has for you and take and hold the high ground, you must be committed to the way of love. In James 2.8, James calls it the royal law of love. If you want the royal life, the life of royalty God has for you, you have to live by the royal law of love. You have to hang that curtain rod of love. You have to commit to living in love, walking in love, or living a life filled with love. Notice how Jesus goes on and adds to this in John 13. Jesus adds to this in John 13. We'll look at verse 34 and 35. 
He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's go again. This is a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. We are called to love each other. We're supposed to be known for our love walk, lives filled with love, not for our bickering, not from our splits, not from our social media wars. We're supposed to be known for our love. That's what Jesus called us to be known by. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And I'm going to read it from the Amphi Classic Edition. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love that has been poured into you is not meant to just stay in you. The same way that God loves everyone, the same way God loves you, that same love he put on the inside of your heart when you were born again. It was given to you by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love himself. He put it in your spirit. But that love was not supposed for you to stay in there and say, oh, I got the love of God on the inside. And go back to the old kids world song. I got the love of Jesus down, 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 down in my heart. It's great that it's there, but it's not supposed to stay there. You see, you must stir up this love by the words of your mouth, and you must let it flow by your actions. You must stir up the love of God by the words of your mouth, and you must let it flow by your actions. Your first step in stirring up this love and letting it flow is identifying with the love of God. And see, these days people identify with a lot of things, a lot of different movements, a lot of different thoughts and philosophies. They identify as many different things. But you need to identify with the love of God. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, I must identify with the love of God. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, I must identify with the love of God. Remember what it told us in Ephesians chapter 1, to imitate God as dear children. Now, we all know how kids imitate their parents. You know, I watched my kids imitate me, do different impressions. I remember last year. How, you know, we began to shelter in place and we began to record a lot of things at home from faith in the morning and midweek messages and different things, depending on what the need was for the church at the time. And so my kids would watch me record. And so when I was not recording, they would go and sit and imitate me and they would act like me. Why? That's what they saw me do. And Paul is saying, hey, let's imitate God like we're little kids because we're God's children. So the same way God loves, we're supposed to love others. The same way God forgives, we're supposed to forgive others. The same way God shows tenderhearted and kindness, that is what we're supposed to do because we are the children of God. We are the children of love himself. The spirit of love is on the inside of us, and he put that love on the inside of our heart. We must stir it up with the words of our mouth, and we must let it flow by our actions. We must identify with love. You need to put that in the chat already. Go ahead and say, I must identify with love. Now, let's define this love. Because, you know, people have so many definitions of what love is and what love isn't these days. Let's see what the scripture says. 
And some of the best definitions we see of God's love is contained in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Classic Edition, as well as the New Living Translation. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, I'm first going to read it from the Amplified Classic Edition, then I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. Love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmanly, and it does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on his own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy. Man, we can pause there and preach a whole conference and series on Christians being touchy. This generation being touchy. Everybody, not talking about millennials or Gen Z, but everybody living on the planet right now, especially in this nation, other nations seem to be touchy or easily triggered. Are you easily triggered? Are you touchy? If so, that's an area you have to grow in the love of God. In. Because if God's love is operating you on a high level, you're not easily triggered. You're not touchy. You see, when, when you see yourself being triggered by the same thing again and again, and touch you about the same thing again and again, you really need to take it to prayer because maybe there's something there that you haven't been healed from and God will give you wisdom on how to deal with it. Some things will come by prayer. Some things may come by sitting down with a counselor or a therapist. There are areas in your life that need to be healed. You shouldn't always be touchy about the same thing. You should always be triggered by things. You should be able to be healed and get to a place where you're not touchy. Why? God's love in you is trying to bring you to a place where you're not touchy or easily triggered or fretful, or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffer wrong. What, it doesn't keep score of the bad things done to it. And they'll say, yep, you did this to me last year, you did this to me last week, you did this to me 10 years ago, I'm keeping score. I may forgive you, but I won't forget. That's not what love does. It forgives and it forgets. There may be some relationships or some friendships that may need to end, but you end it by forgiving and forgetting. You don't have to continue certain relationships. Now, I'm not talking about your marriage relationship and certain things with the kids you're raising in your house. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other friendships you have, other type of relationships that you're struggling with, that you're holding offense in your heart about, and you're just holding on to things. And you have forgiven them, but you haven't forgotten them. That's not true forgiveness. That's not complete forgiveness. You have to forgive and forget because remember the Bible says we are to forgive the same way God forgave us. And God forgives us and doesn't keep a record of it. He forgives and he forgets it. That's scripture. He casts as far as the east is from the west. We must forgive. We must let things go and get to a healthy place so we can love others and not be touchy and not be easily triggered and not try to come from a place where we're always wounded. Remember Jesus said he's anointed to heal the broken heart. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to restore your soul so that you're able to love people effectively. Let's go on. It or love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Here's what the New Living Translation says. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous 
or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's what God's love does. And this is the love you're supposed to identify as. And remember I said the way you stir up this love is by the words of your mouth. And so I wrote something for you to say that you can go back to this message when we put it up on Faith Plus on YouTube so you can say it again with us. But this is going to stir up the love in your heart. And wherever you are, say it with me. It's too long to put in the chat. So wherever you are, say it with me. Whether you have to say it quietly if you're around people. Wherever you're at home, just go ahead and say it out loud. You ready? This is you can put in the chat. Put in the chat if you're ready. Go ahead, put in the chat if you're ready for me to go. Ready, go ahead and put in the chat. Say, I'm ready. All right, you ready? Say, I am patient. I am kind. I am never envious. I never boil over with jealousy. I am not boastful or excessively proud of myself or my achievements. I do not display myself arrogantly superior or disdainful. I am not conceited. I am not arrogant. I am not inflated with pride. I am not rude and unmannerly. I do not act inappropriately. I do not demand my own way. I am not irritable or touchy. I am not easily triggered. I am not distressed or restless. I am not resentful. I do not keep score concerning the wrong done to me. I do not rejoice with injustice. I rejoice when truth and what is right prevails. I never give up. I never lose faith. I am always hopeful. I endure through every circumstance. I never fail. Because God's love is working powerfully and miraculously in me. You see, when you say that on a regular basis every day, what are we doing? We're identifying with the love of God. We're stirring up the love on the inside of us. We're choosing to live in line with what love does. As we stir it up, it's going to change your mindset and it's going to make the love of God that's poured out in your heart active. Now that it's active, you have to make the decision to love others. You have to make the decision to love others. You know, one of the love confessions I do, you know, I remind myself in times of prayer, I said, Father, I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I love my neighbor as I love myself. I love others as Jesus loves me because it pleases you. You've poured out your love in my heart, and I am a conduit of your love. So today, I choose to love others the way Jesus loves me. Then I go through the list of relationships. 
I start with saying, I will love my wife as Jesus loves me. I will love my kids as Jesus loves me. I will love my church as Jesus loves me. I will love my fellow man as Jesus loves me. I will love the brethren as Jesus loves me. I go through different relationships, different things I can think of, different things in the community. I will love them as Jesus loves me. And this love fuels my faith. And my faith grows exceedingly because I've taken Jesus to be the author and finisher and developer of my faith. This love flushes out all fear because fear has torment. So what am I doing? I'm confessing things about the love of God. I'm making up my mind that I'm gonna operate in the love of God today and I'm stirring up the love of God in my own heart so that it can flow for me. You know, something else I began to say years and years ago, I said, Father, you poured out your love in my heart to the point that it saturates every cell of my being so people can sense the love of God just by being in my presence. And I notice the more I focus on that and the more I say it, the more results I see from that. And I've heard testimonies. I remember years ago when I first began to focus on and do these things that I was, when I was in another state and I was going to church, I might've been in college at the time, so I might've been in town. And I was just talking with a group of people I'd served with before. And we were just talking, just catching up. And they said, we don't know what it is about you, but anytime you walk near, we sense the love of God. And what, it, what was that to me? It's like, it's the result of what I've been believing and saying and focusing on. If you do the same things, you have the same testimony that when you walk into places, atmospheres will shift because the love of God walked into that place. This is how you begin to take and hold the high ground. You do it through the way of love. You might say, well, what about the people against me? What about the people who are plotting against me? What about all that? Fair point. If you walk in love, you're also giving place to the vengeance of God. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. But if you get in the way and you start taking your own revenge, there's no room for the vengeance of God. But if you walk in love and you do what God says, you're opening the door for God to make things right in your life. Some of you haven't had restoration of things made right because you're still holding things against people and you're still trying to get them back. Move out the way. Let God make it right in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word tonight, for the encouragement, for the correction, for the exhortation. Now help us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So as it says in the book of James, we can be blessed in our doing. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.